All right, good morning. If you, uh, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, if you would go ahead and grab that, get that out, turn to the book of Philippians. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Um, if you do not own a Bible, if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, there should be a blue and white paperback one just like this somewhere nearby. If you would grab that, if you don't own one, like we said, please take that as a gift from us to you this morning. Um, as, uh, as Joey just prayed as well, um, Rick and Jamie and their kids are on a little vacation this week, um, so they're taking some much-needed time off, uh, so we're glad that they were able to do that. Uh, Lord willing, they will be back next week. I think they're coming back sometime this week during the week, but he will be back and, uh, and be preaching again, again next week. Um, but today, you got me. <laughs> All right, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 is going to be our passage this morning. Please read along with me. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray real fast. Holy Spirit, I ask you this morning to, uh, to meet us here. Lord, I pray that you have already been moving. I pray that you have already been working. And I pray that you would stir our hearts. Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Father, I pray that the words that, that come out of my mouth would not be my words, but would be your words. And uh, Lord, that you would use them as you see fit. And uh, Father, we just ask for your grace and your mercy to pour out on us this morning that we would know we have met with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you. Uh, this morning we find ourselves entering into chapter 4 of this letter. It's the last portion of this letter that, uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. He's, he's getting ready to start closing things out. Um, and uh, so far we've seen a lot of different things in this book, uh, in this letter that, that, uh, that Paul has, has written. It's been, a, it's been a good time spending this time in this book. We've still got about three more sermons left. Um, over the past 15 weeks, we've been walking very slowly through this. We've seen a lot of really good things in there. Um, the primary theme, though, of what we have seen in this book is this theme of God's glory, the, the magnificence of who God is, the splendor of who God is, the, the majesty of who God is, all those different kind of things. We see that in this book. And what we see is how those things, how that glory of God affects us in our daily lives how it impacts our lives for just our daily lives, how we walk, how we, how we live, those kind of things. We see how it impacts our joy, our obedience, worship, perspective, any number of things. We, we've, we've listed a bunch of different things as we've, gone through, as we've gone through this letter. And today we're going to continue that theme. We're going to continue walking through that theme. It's just today we're looking at God's glory and our witness. Okay, we're looking at God's glory and our witness, how the glory of God affects our witness, okay? Now, I got to explain what we mean by witness here, because like every other word in the English language, every word has about 10 different meanings, right? It could mean any number of different things. Well, what we're talking about today, this word witness literally means what we're talking about in this aspect, in this context, is evidence or proof, okay? That would be the noun portion of it. The verb portion of it would be to give or serve as evidence or to testify to. So you see our lives, who we are, how we live, how we talk, how we walk, everything about us, everything that people see about us, people, the things that people hear about us, about what they heard about how we reacted in some situation or whatever it might be, all that stuff bears witness to something. Okay, It bears witness to who we are. It lets people know something about us. That's where the real us kind of shines through a lot of times, right? It's what people see and how they, how they perceive us. 
Okay, so our actions, our attitudes, our reactions in these different situations, all that kind of stuff is a witness. Okay, those things serve as evidence or proof or they testify to who we really are, who we serve, as a matter of fact, and who our allegiance is to. Okay, we also know that those things serve as evidence of our love, faith, and hope. They serve as what we love, what we have faith in, what we hope in, those kind of things. They see that. And we'll talk about all that on the, the back end of the message here. Um, we'll get back to the love, faith, and hope stuff. Um, for the follower of Jesus, our witness, how we live, what we do, it either points to the fact that we really do know God and we really do love God, or it points to the fact that we may not know him and love him quite as much as we like to think. Does that make sense? How we live, how we do these things points to that. So there should be evidence of a love of God in our lives. That's the gist of it. So as we examine these verses today, these, these first five verses or so in uh, chapter 4 of um, Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, um, we're going to hopefully see what our witness should look like. Okay, we're going to see what that witness should look like. We're going to see about four different aspects of that. And I hope that we're going to answer this question, that we'll answer that question, excuse me, before we get through today. What should my witness look like? What should that look like for me? So let's just go ahead and dive on in and, uh, and get into this. So we're going to look at that question. What should our witness look like? Look at verse 2. Okay, look at verse number 2. Well, let me say this about verse number one first. Um, verse number one is kind of a conclusion of what Justin preached last week. Okay, that's, I don't know why the verses break like they do, but anyway, that's why I'm not touching that one. We're, we're moving on to verse two. Um, so anyway, verse two. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. All right, so number one, for you note takers, those that are jotting down notes and things like that, number one, what our witness should look like is it should look like agreeing in the Lord. It should look like agreeing in the Lord. So we see Paul here. He directly addresses two ladies within their church. Okay? And he does that because evidently there's some problem going on between them. Imagine that, right? <laughs> but stuff happens. Stuff happens and something is going on there. We don't know what it is. He doesn't speak to what it is. We have no idea what the issue is. But there's clearly an issue. There's clearly something going on between these two ladies. Again, we're not sure what it is. And truthfully, it doesn't really matter what it is because it's what he tells them to do that matters. Okay? He says, whatever your issues are, whatever your differences are, whatever the problem is, and we don't know if it's just the two of them. We don't know if they're dragging the whole church into it and they're about to split. We don't know nothing. But we know that he tells them, agree in the Lord. Okay, so it doesn't really matter what they're arguing about. It's the solution to it that we need to focus on. So they needed to lay their differences aside. They needed to come together for the common good. So he's telling them, be unified rather than divided. Okay, to be unified rather than divided. So unity is something that Paul has talked about quite a bit in this letter, and we've seen it a number of different times. All right, as we've walked through the first three chapters of Philippians, we've seen it in a, a number of places. One of those is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Okay, he's talking about this idea of unity. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. That's unity. That is being unified. And then, later on in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says this regarding this idea of unity. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Without grumbling and disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. All right, so there's a lot of stuff going on in, in those couple of verses, but he's talking about being unified. Don't be griping and grumbling about everything. Work together. Work together for the sake of the gospel. All right, he says, have one mind, one spirit. Do these things together. Because remember, you are a light to the world. 
You are being a witness. How you, how you live, how we do church is a witness to the world around us. So unity, being like-minded, being in one spirit, all these different things, they are important for the spiritual health of these two women, but they're also important for the, the spirit of the church as well, for the life of their church. Okay, so division, disunity, not agreeing in the Lord, all that kind of stuff can affect not only individuals and the witness of those individuals, but it can affect the witness of the church as a whole. Okay, it, it can affect the witness of the church as a whole. So it's one thing for, for there to be an individual who kind of runs out in public areas and they're making all these controversial statements and just trying to be divisive. It's one thing for somebody to see that and see an individual doing that. It's a whole other thing when they hear about an entire church that's having an issue. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. And I know we've all, we've all heard the stories most likely. We've all, I hope nobody's been a part of one, but we've heard about these churches that they, they have issues. They have division within their body for whatever reason. For whatever reason it is, you hear about it. You know about it. You, you hear these things in, uh, in the public arena and, and, and different things like that. But here's the thing. If there's anywhere, if there's anywhere on this earth where there should be peace and harmony and unity and working together and pulling all in the same direction, all that thing, it should be in this place right here. It should be within the, the body of the church. That's where it should be. If we're not doing that here, how in the world can we expect to take it out there and try to share it with anybody and want to bring them into it? It doesn't work. It's a, it's a contradiction. But that's not the case all the time. It's not always harmonious and good and right. Uh, situations arise. Stuff happens. People get fired up about things. They, they get um, aggravated about things, whatever it might be. Most of the time, that stuff is probably very, very trivial. Most of the time. We've all heard stories, right? The church split over the color of the carpet, you know, or didn't like the lights, or somebody took the organ. God forbid somebody took the organ out of the sanctuary. Stuff like that, man. That's the kind of stuff that split churches. And it becomes these huge issues that there shouldn't be. We don't want to be a part of that. We want to agree in the Lord. And I hope none of us have ever been a part of anything like that. And I certainly hope and pray, hope and pray to God above that that never happens here at Anthem Church. But we've got to stay on guard. We've got to stay on guard if God is going to protect us from those kind of things happening here at Anthem Church. But as long as we stay focused, as long as we stay focused on Jesus, the things that really do matter, and seek to protect our witness in the community, all right, as long as we seek to protect that, our individual witness as well as the witness of the church, in other words, know whose you are and who you belong to, essentially. As long as we do that and we stay focused on that, I think we'll, uh, we'll probably be okay. But nonetheless, there was an issue here in Philippi that Paul had to address. He had to address this issue, and he calls these ladies to agree in the Lord. So he's encouraging them. He, he's literally, when he says entreat, that's a, that's a pretty strong term if you, if you look at the meaning. It's, it's, he is strongly encouraging them. He is like, one translation says beseeching. It's just not like, I ask you. It's not like that. It's, it's a lot more to it than that. So he, he's telling them to, to please do this thing. He's encouraging them strongly to be unified around the gospel of Christ. Put the interests of other people ahead of your own. Like quit thinking about yourself. Put others first. Think about those things. Let humility abound. Okay? Come together under the banner of truth rather than brooding and fighting over things that won't last past this life. And I think he's telling us the same thing today. Putting putting our differences aside, agreeing in the Lord, working peaceably together, walking in humility looking out for the interests of others ahead of our own, seeking God's will over our own will, all those kind of things. All that stuff certainly provides much evidence for whose we are, right? When we do that stuff, it looks different. It looks different than the world around us. That's a lot of the problem is we tend, the church tends to look like the rest of the world that is around us. But it helps us not only as, as a church, but it also helps us as individuals, to, to do those things, to, to put those things first in our life. 
But in order to be able to do this, in order to be able to do this thing and do it regularly and do it effectively and do it well, especially on a personal level, we may need some help. You know, it's going to be hard for us to do this thing on our own, to live this way on our own and by ourselves. It could be very, very difficult for us. And Paul knows this. He knows this is an issue because look at chapter, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So, again, for those of you who are note takers, number two, number one was your witness looks like helping or looks like uh, agreeing in the Lord. Number two is your witness should look like helping others, helping each other. Okay, now suffice it to say, we are not going to agree on everything, right? It's just not going to happen. We are just not going to agree on everything, okay? It just, it doesn't happen. We're all different. We all have different preferences and, and all these different kind of things. And even when we're trying our best to agree in the Lord, it can be difficult. Those, those challenges can come up. They can be hard to do. But we have to guard ourselves against making things ultimate that are not ultimate. Does that make sense? We've got to guard ourselves against those things that we think are just so direly important, and maybe they're not. They might not be quite as big a deal as we make them out to be. We've got to watch ourselves against those things. We'll, we'll, put, we'll make these certain things a functional Savior that we think, if we don't have that, man, I can't worship, I can't live, I can't do anything. And we'll put that ahead of the body of the church or the, the gospel being shared or whatever it might be. We've got to guard ourselves against making those things ultimate that are not supposed to be ultimate. And in order to do that, in order to be able to do that, oftentimes we need some help. We need some help to make that happen. Because left to ourselves and, and kind of doing our own thing and, and just going along and, and thinking the same way we always think, we are much more apt to fall into either some sort of sin or making those things ultimate that shouldn't be. We're just much more apt to do that when we're kind of left to ourselves. Okay, and that's exactly what Paul does here. He tries to correct that. He tries to, to fix that issue. He calls on this other person. We're not sure who it is. But he calls on this other person to help these women. Because obviously they, they got an issue. They need some help in getting this thing straight. Help them do it. Okay, so he calls for them to get some help. He solicits help from someone in the church. It's another believer um, to assist these two ladies in agreeing in the Lord. Again, we don't know who it is, um, but we can rest assured that if Paul is calling on this person, he trusts them. He knows them. He understands who they are. He knows things about them, whatever. We have no idea who it is, but we know that Paul trusts them. And it could be that he's just referring to different commentators said it different ways. Some say that's an individual, like a, a one person. You know, it says true companion, and that's in the singular. Other commentators said he's calling on the whole church. You know, saying, true yoke fellows, all of you who are laboring in the gospel, help these women. So it could be one of two ways. Nonetheless, he's calling on people to help them. Okay? Um, so he's asking for, for help for these two ladies. And it's no different for us today. We oftentimes need help to make sure our own witness stays intact. Right? We oftentimes need help to make sure our own witness stays intact. That we stay united as fellow believers. Okay, sometimes we need somebody to point something out to us. We may not see it. We may not know what it is. We may not understand that we're doing something or that there's this issue in our life and somebody needs to come along and say, hey, man, you, you, need, to, you need to not do that. Or they may say, look, you're not doing this and you need to do this. You know, you need to do something different. So we need those people to point those things out to us where we're maybe acting selfishly or we're not acting as we should or where there's just flat-out sin in our life. And we don't understand it. We don't see it. We don't recognize it as sin. So we have to have somebody say, hey, man, this is what you're doing. This, you need to not do this thing. And there's a, there's a term that we use for that, why, what those things are. And they're called blind spots. It's, it's these blind spots that we have that we just can't see what it is, right? It's those areas in our lives that are problems, but we just don't, we don't know it ourselves. Other people may see it, but we don't recognize it they can oftentimes just sneak up on us they catch us off guard um 
before we know it, we're neck deep in something, and we did not even mean to get there. It's because there was this blind spot, and we just went right into it. Okay, so we need help in those situations. So it's the same concept as blind spots on your car, right? You're driving your car, you, you get in, you got all your mirrors set, you got the rear view mirror, the side view mirrors, everything is set where you can see out in front of you, you can see behind you as much as you can. But it doesn't matter unless you've got Hubble telescope mirrors of some kind that you're going to see everything. There are blind spots in your car, and you know they're there. You know they're there, those blind spots, because you've been trying to merge into traffic and somebody blow their horn, you'd be like, crap, I didn't even see them. You know, you know those things are there. They are there. You know you're backing up in your driveway and crunch. Yep, you just ran over your daughter's bike because you didn't see it in your mirror. It was in the blind spot. They, those things do exist. So what you need, what you need in those scenarios is someone else to say, hey, wait, <laughs> don't merge yet. Wait for this car or speed up, hit the gas, do something but don't go now because you're getting ready to hit that car, you know, or stop. You're about to run over your kid's bike. You need somebody there to help you, to point those things out to you. And you don't mean for those things to happen. You're not intentionally trying to merge into traffic and hit somebody. You're not trying to, to run over your kid's bike. You're not doing those things on purpose, but you can't help it because it's in a blind spot. So you may not even realize there's a problem there. You may not even see it. You may be very aware of a lot of things and see a lot of stuff and you know a lot of stuff about what's going on with you, but there's still those areas that you don't see. And you're like, hmm, I need some help here. So again, what you need is somebody there to help you. You need a, a navigator, so to speak. So we have those blind spots. We need somebody to point them out for us and help us before we hurt ourselves or someone else or before we damage our witness, okay? Before we damage our own witness. And here's the other thing, too. When somebody starts pointing those things out, it might sting a little. We don't always want to hear it, all right? And, and let me just say this. Just, this right here, and this is why. I'll be driving. I got blind spots. Chris is riding with me. Don't do that. I'm like, I saw them. I didn't see them. Okay? But I get frustrated. I get upset just slightly in that moment because she's trying to point something out to me that I didn't see. And I'm supposed to see everything. Right? I'm supposed to know it all. So I don't want somebody pointing things out to me necessarily. But we need them nonetheless. It happens. I'm just saying. It does happen. But it may sting a little. Okay? It may sting just a little bit, but it's better to be stung now just a little than to mess up everything that God's been doing in your life. It's better to have that sting right now than to totally blow it and destroy your testimony. I'm just saying. And here's the thing. Where does that help come from? Where does that help come from? God provides that help through and within the faith family. It's through the church, it's through the body of believers that that help comes. You know, Paul didn't say, go down the street to Joe and get some help. He said, no, you, my true companion, my true yoke fellow, is how some translations say it. You help these women. Okay, so these ladies were believers. Paul appeals to someone in the church for the help that they needed. And here's, here's the reason why. We often think of witnessing. You know, when you hear that word, if you've been in church any period of time anyway, you hear witnessing and you think going out and sharing the gospel with non-believers, right? That's what witnessing is. Witnessing happens just as much with believers and witnessing to believers as it does to non-believers, okay? It happens just as much and is just as important, okay? It, it is just as important as going out and sharing the gospel with a complete stranger. Helping one another, helping a fellow brother or sister see what's in that blind spot maybe is just as important and can save a world of trouble if they'll heed your advice. 
And then here's the other thing. Anytime we help somebody in that regard, we help point those things out to them and we help them keep from damaging their witness or falling into some sin or we help them get out of some sin in their life and they repent of those things and they turn away from it, that right there alone is a fantastic witness for God. It's a beautiful witness for God. It's a picture of his grace and his mercy. And it's a picture of how he deals with us. It's a picture of how he treats us and that, that, that there is always you can come to him and there's love and there's grace and there's mercy that is found in God. And that is a witness to those very same things. And all that will definitely, without a doubt, bring glory to God as well. It glorifies God when that stuff happens. When you help one another, it glorifies God. What is one of the things that Jesus said that the world would recognize his disciples? Their love for one another. Their love for one another. If we're not loving one another and helping point each other in the right direction, man, what kind of witness are we being? What kind of witness are we being? And that, again, brings glory, glory, glory to God. And then that is a cause for great rejoicing as well. So let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. All right, now you're not going to be able to guess what my third point here is. All right? What should our witness look like? It should look like rejoicing. That's the third point there. Our witness should look like rejoicing. So Paul, right here, he reiterates um, another theme that he talks about throughout this letter. He constantly is talking about rejoicing and being joyful for all kind of reasons, for every kind of reason there might be. So this is not new to the Philippians, this idea of rejoicing, because we've seen it several times as we've worked our way through this letter. And, uh, and we know from what we've talked about previously that rejoicing means what? Being happy, right? It literally means to be happy. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to rejoice. That's part of what it is. To, to rejoice is to be happy. But it's not a happiness that's based on our circumstances, based on where we find ourselves and, and what's going on. It's based on God. It's based on our relationship with God and who He is and the grace and the mercy and the love that He has shown to us. Okay, so it's a, it's a happiness that is displayed even when things are not good. Not only when they're good, it's easy to be happy when things are good. Very easy to do that. A lot more difficult to rejoice and show that happiness when things are not going too well. So it's a happiness regardless of our circumstances. And this is definitely a mark of what our witness should look like. It's a character trait of the believer. Joy is a, just a character trait of what the believer should embody. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. I'm only going to read the first few words of it. But it's Paul again. He's writing to the church in, uh, in Galatia. And he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, so forth and so on. Joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a, it's a part of who we are as believers. Okay? And if anyone, if there's anybody on the planet that should have reason to rejoice and be joyful, it's the believer, right? It's the person who understands and knows what God has done for them. The person who, who has recognized um, what God has done to purchase his own people, you know, through Jesus, through him coming and dying on the cross for a people who did not want him, but he wants us. So he doesn't do that because we're good and we're awesome. No, he does that because there's no way for us to have a relationship with him without Jesus. We have much, much reason to rejoice if we have embraced that, if we have embraced the gospel, and if we had trusted in him. And not only that, but he didn't just save us for the here and now. He didn't just send Jesus so we could be happy now. Man, there's going to be an eternal happiness, right? There's going to be an eternal joy that happens because we're going to be with God. We're going to be with Jesus forever, forever. I had a friend of mine one time that said, uh, talking about going to heaven and, and being joyful in that, he's like, man, I don't care what heaven's like. He said, heaven could be a junkyard. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. 
That is all he cared about. I was like, man, that's good. That's good stuff. So we believers, people who have embraced the gospel, trusted in Jesus Christ, we have ample, ample reason to rejoice. More than enough reason to rejoice. And that rejoicing is found where? It's found in the Lord. Again, because it's not based on our circumstances we find ourselves in. And here's the other thing, too. When you think about it, rejoicing in the Lord and that happiness in the Lord, sometimes just knowing God and knowing that there are better things coming and and rejoicing in who God is and what he's done for you, sometimes that's the only thing that will even get you through those hard times. Those are the only things you can put any faith in, put any trust in. Man, everybody around you may have betrayed you. But you can trust that God won't. Never, ever will he betray you. Never turn his back on you. You can trust that. That's reason to rejoice. You know, no matter what happens around us, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, sometimes that rejoicing in the Lord, that happiness that we find in knowing Jesus can be the only thing that gets us through those hard times. Because oftentimes, like I said, we have nothing else to trust in. Nothing else to put our faith in. Because if we put our faith in the here and now and the stuff here, it's going to let us down. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn on us. It's going to betray us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fade on us. Whatever it is, it's, it's going to not go very well. It might for a short period of time, but it's not going to last. So this sort of happiness, this sort of rejoicing can only come from having a different perspective. We've got we to change our perspective You know, we've got to submit our perspective to God and think heavenly, think eternal, rather than concentrating so much on the here and now, rather than concentrating so much on what we can see. And that can be very, very difficult for us, and we have to train ourselves to not do that because we're so, so entrenched in the things of this world. You know, we, we compare ourselves to other people. We say, man, they've got this. Why don't I have that? You know, I would like to have this or that, or they've got it. Why don't I have it? Da, 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 da. All this kind of stuff, it, it, it wells up in us. Now, I know everybody struggles with that on a different level. Some people don't bother them at all. They struggle with something else. But it's, it's all out there. You know, we, we, we concentrate and we see so much right here, just vertical or horizontal, excuse me. That's where we look. And that's where we look for our happiness. That's where we look for our joy is right here, right now. We've got to change that perspective. We've got to think heavenly. You know, we might have to give some stuff up here and now to get it later. So we've got to change that perspective sometimes. Rather than focusing here, think heavenly, okay? And uh, again, that can be very, very difficult for us. So when our lives are characterized by this true joy, this true happiness that, that cannot be taken away because it's rooted and founded the foundation is in Jesus Christ, that promise that he gives us of eternal life that is to come, all that kind of stuff. When we do that, we are being a witness to the world around us. And to give you a, a little bit of a, a personal example here, there was a stretch in my life where I lost my job about four different times in about two years. It was just one right behind the other. It was like, man, I'm, am I ever going to get anywhere I'm going to stay you know, it's like, I don't know what's going on. But it's, it's because the companies went out of business, not because I got fired. It was just the economy. It, the economy went tanked out, and every company I worked for shut the doors, shut the doors, shut the doors. And it was about four, at least four different times, I think, over about a two-year span that happened. But I was never shaken. I, I trusted God. I knew God. And people saw that. I was a witness in that, thank God. And it's not no credit to me, none whatsoever to me, Okay. It is purely and totally God giving me a peace that he's going to take care of me, that he's going to look after me, you know. And one of the guys at, uh, at Explore, that's where we were going at the time before we, we planted here, and uh, he said, Brent, he said, we need to get some people to come to you and figure out how to get a job because here's the thing. Every time the company went out of business, within a week, I had a job. I was working somewhere. I just trusted God. I was like, okay, Lord. It, I, I was like, you knew this was happening? It didn't catch you off guard, didn't catch you by surprise. You got something else for me. You know, I'm the sole breadwinner of our home. Krista doesn't work or earn any money or anything. She works like a dog, but she don't earn any living, so to speak, all right? 
So I'm like, I trust you. I trust you that you're going to provide what we need. And he did that, and that was a witness to those around us. Thank God. Again, glory, glory to God only. And we were able to rejoice in it. We were able to rejoice in those moments. We never got down. We never got sad, never got upset. Just rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. And that's a witness. And that rejoicing, when we do that, when we live this life of rejoicing, that leads to the next thing. That leads to the next thing in our list here. So look at, uh, look at verse 5 with me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, reasonableness is a byproduct of rejoicing. Okay? It's a, it's a byproduct of the rejoicing. It's easy to be reasonable when, you can, when you're rejoicing, when you're happy, when things are are good. You have a, a good outlook. All right, that word reasonable or reasonableness is translated about eight different ways depending on which version of the Bible you use. It's because the word for that, there is no word that, that means it from the Greek language. There's just, there's not an English word that, that really fits. So everybody's just picking and grabbing and trying to find something that works best. So the word means though, it carries this idea of, of mild, like being mild, being gentle, uh, being patient, those kind of things. And in a word, it means gracious. You're gracious. You have a gracious outlook, a gracious attitude, those kind of things. That's what it means to be reasonable. Now, different, some translations will translate it, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let your, uh, again, reasonableness here in the ESV. There's a variety of different ways, but they all mean the same thing. They all mean the same thing. And the point is, that's the way the world should see us as believers. They should see us as being reasonable. See us as being gracious. See us as being gentle, patient, all those kind of things. That's how the world should see us. And that's also how the world should experience the joy that we have, is through a gracious, gentle heart that we display it. Does that make sense? You picking up what I'm laying down there? <laughs> So that should be the way the world around us sees us. So number four, again, for you note takers, our witness should look like graciousness. Our witness should look like graciousness. And this attitude of graciousness is not reserved only for friends and family and churchgoers and that kind of thing. It is easy, 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 easy to be gracious to those we like, right? Very easy to be gracious to those we like. Much more difficult. Much more difficult to be gracious and patient and kind and gentle and all those things with people we don't necessarily like. So it should be known to everyone, Paul says. He doesn't qualify to a small group. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, everybody. Okay, remember what he said in uh, chapter 2, verse 15, you shine as lights in the world. Don't be grumbling and disputing over stuff. You know, you're shining as lights. You're lights to the world. You're not just lights within the church. You're lights to the world around you. And I can imagine that that would be, uh, I can imagine that would be kind of difficult um, for the Philippians, especially, because the Philippians, they, they lived in a time where it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily uh, highly looked upon to be a Christian. It just wasn't a, a good time necessarily to be a believer. Um, it was hard for them. It was a society that, that dis was not very accepting of Christians, but nonetheless, they're called to do it. They're still called to be reasonable to everyone. And the truth is, it's the same for us today. That, that verse applies just as much today as it did then. We, are, we, as believers, are to be just as reasonable as the Philippians were being called to be reasonable in their society. And it's a little, it, it's getting more difficult here, too, because we are living in a society that is increasingly more hostile toward the Christian faith, toward the biblical truths that we stand for. It, the, whole, um, the whole idea of, of tolerance with tolerating everything, you know, but yet nobody's supposed to tolerate us, it seems like. So anyway, there's just this mentality that's growing exponentially um, 
in our society here that it is going to get harder and harder and harder for those of us who are believers to respond with gentleness and graciousness and patience and love and mercy and all those things as well. But we are called to do it, okay? We are called to do it for a reason. And here's the other thing. The Bible teaches us that that we are to be that. We are to be reasonable and gracious to people. And here's why. Because we have been so graciously looked upon by God. All right? God has been very, very patient and gracious with us. If you don't believe me, go home and read the first eight chapters of Romans. Okay? Just go read those chapters, and you will see how the Bible describes us as enemies of God. Enemies. Hostile toward God, everything about God. Chapter 1 talks about how he has turned us over to a depraved mind. It's not good. It is not good. We are enemies of God. God has been extremely gracious with us. He shows that grace through Jesus and through coming into our heart with the Holy Spirit and changing us from the inside out. That's how that happens. So he has been extremely gracious to us by providing a way to change us. Okay, so we have to do the same thing. We have to be that light to the world. We have to be that gospel to the world. Now, to do this, in order to respond with grace and love and mercy and all those things, especially to those people that we don't necessarily want to be gracious to, there's something that has to happen. It is virtually impossible to do without the joy of verse 4. Okay? It is virtually impossible to do that without the joy of that comes from the Lord. Okay? If you're not happy, if you're upset, it is very, very difficult. Ask a parent how hard it is to be gracious and loving to your children when you yourself are not happy. It is difficult. It is very hard, hard to do. So without that joy, without that joy there that comes from God and from knowing God, it's going to be much more difficult to be reasonable and gentle and patient and gracious and here's why, part of why that is, because we're so focused on what we want to make us happy. We want to make ourselves happy. And when we're not in that mode of being joyful in the Lord, that's where the, the angst comes from. That's where the rub comes in. Okay, so when we're missing that joy, that's where, that's where other things like road rage come from, right? When we don't have that joy, when we're already upset and then somebody cuts us off in traffic, Man, you want to just lay the hammer down, right? That's where those things come from. That's, uh, that's where our increasing impatience with people comes from. That's where our uh, mentality, our, our me mentality, our just I want what I want. That's where those things come from when we're missing that joy. Okay, so our idea of joy a lot of times, and I know I'm going back, kind of referring back here, but our, our idea of joy oftentimes are set on the wrong things. Instead of being set on God and the things of God, they're set on what I want now, what's making me happy right now. That's what they get focused on. And by doing that, when they're set on the wrong things like we talked about earlier, then our gentleness, our reasonableness, our patience, our grace, all those kind of things, they're malnourished. They're malnourished. There's nothing there to feed it. There's nothing there to help it grow and to help it flourish because we're already upset. We don't want to be helping anybody or doing anything else so that's what happens when our joy is misplaced and when we're only looking out for ourselves and not looking out for others and the needs of others and all this all this stuff is a witness to the world around us okay they see how we are people see how we are how we act in certain situations how we how we live what we do all those kind of things we're we are a witness you have a witness regardless of where you fall on the spectrum. You have one. There is a witness there in you. What we have to ask ourselves is, in that regard, is, man, what does, what does my witness look like? What does it really look like? What needs to change? Is there something in me that needs to change? Do I need to tweak something? Do we need to repent? Do we need to repent of some sin in our lives? Do we need to ask God to help us live in humility, be gentle, patient, gracious, and all those kind of things so that others will see that 
and then glorify God. That's what uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 talks about. Jesus says, let your good works be seen by other people so that they will see those things and glorify God. That's the point. He wants to be glorified in us because we are his representatives. Now, as we wrap up, as we kind of close out here, what are we to do? What are we to do in light of this fact that our witness should look like agreeing in the Lord, helping one another, rejoicing always in the Lord, rejoicing always in the Lord, and a spirit of graciousness. What should we do there? What should, what should, our, what should those things look like? And we mentioned these at the very beginning. We talked about it in our mission prayer, but it's three words. I think it's three very simple words that sum it all up. Love, faith, and hope. Love, faith, and hope. And those are things that we talk about all the time here at Anthem Church. We don't want to we don't want to beat a dead horse, but man, they're biblical. They are right and they are good. Okay? We didn't just come up with that love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled stuff to, to sound cute. Okay? That is a very biblical way of thinking. And, and here's how. Here's how. And it ties in. Love, faith, and hope, they all tie in with these few verses. Just so neatly. They, they just tie right in. Okay? So it's, it's not something we came up with on our own. It's something that, that comes from the scriptures. So love. Love means what? Submitting our interests. Submitting our own interests for the interests of others, whether it be for God or other people. Loving God first, loving people, and then we come third in that. Okay, so it means submitting our interests, putting God and others ahead of ourselves. All right, so loving God, loving others is what it takes to agree in the Lord. You have to love God and love other people in order to agree in the Lord, okay, to be willing to step in and help somebody who is struggling with some sin in their life, to be able to help other people. You've got to have that in place, okay, if they need some sort of correction or if they need some sort of encouragement, those kind of things. That's where those first couple of items come from, agreeing in the Lord, helping other people, love, love God, love others. We saw that in verses two and three. So what does, how does your love need to change then? Does it need to change? You might be thriving in this. You might not have any issues whatsoever. You may be blowing it up in the love department. Good, praise God, I'm tickled to death. Others of us, we probably need to work on it. We need to work on our love for God and for others. So some things may need to change there for us. The next one is faith. Faith. And this is not, we always have to qualify this, this is not saving faith. This is not the faith that, that our salvation comes from. It's probably a better way to say it is faithfulness. Faithfulness being obedience, okay? So faith is submitting our choices. Submitting our choices. It means, first of all, trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life and then living in obedience to that, okay? That's what faith is. That's what the faith part of love, faith, and hope is. And trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's where the joy comes from. That's what allows you to be able to rejoice in the Lord. It's that relationship with Jesus, okay, in verse 4. And then out of that comes living in obedience to him, and that's what takes you to being reasonable and gracious. Doing those things is just purely being obedient to Christ. That's all it is. He said, love your enemies. That's being obedient. If we love our enemies, love those that are hostile toward us, we're being like Jesus, and we're doing what he has asked us to do. And we saw that in verse 5. And then hope. And hope is really the big one, I think, of our, of our time here today. Um, hope meaning submitting our perspective. We talked about that just a couple minutes ago. Looking beyond the here and now, looking to an eternal view, having an eternal view of things rather than a, a here and now view of things. And having that in eternal perspective is another thing of what it takes to truly rejoice in the Lord. To really rejoice in the Lord, we can't be focused here and now. We've got to be focused on the eternal. We saw that in verse 4. And here's why we do that. The things of this world are not going to last. Everything here, everything here is going away. It's not going to last. It, we are not going to take it to eternity with us. None of it is going to last at all. It is all going to get redone, and Jesus is going to reign on high, and everything is going to be perfect. 
we're going to know nothing of this stuff anymore. All right? Now, I'm talking in very general terms here. I think there are things we will remember and we'll have knowledge of and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, you're not going to be longing for the things of earth when you reach eternity. Okay? That's what I'm trying to get at. So we didn't just make these things up. This is all right here in the scriptures and it all ties together. Okay? But in order to do any of these things, any of these things, we have to have that relationship between us and God. That relationship's got to be right. We've got to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That is first and foremost. Without that, none of the rest of it matters. You've got to have that. And then, that has to come first. And then, those conscious decisions of obedience, living in obedience to God, to Christ, and being that love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled follower of Jesus comes along. And that's where we make conscious decisions to continually obey and trust and live it out. Okay, so what about you this morning? What about you this morning? What are some areas? Where, where, where do you have to work on your love? Where do you, you might have an a, a issue with somebody at work or uh, at home, in, in the house, anything. Where do you need to agree in the Lord with somebody? Where do you need to lay your intentions aside, lay your interests aside and focus on somebody else? Is there that area? Again, you may be striving in that. Where do you need to, where do you need to increase your faith? Where do you need to be more obedient where do you need to show that grace to somebody? You know, where do you need to be obedient to Christ? Only you can answer those things. What, maybe there's something that you need to not be so focused on things here and figure out how to focus more on heavenly things. You know, turn your ear to heaven, hear the sound that's coming from there and focus on that rather than turning your ears to the things here. What are those areas in your life? Where do you need to change? That's the invitation this morning. One, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus with your life and your heart and everything in you. And then focus on God. Learn how to, to live in that obedience um, to Him. So let's pray together. And uh, the praise team will come and lead us in one last song. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for, uh, for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, Lord. We thank you so much for showing us those things through, through the cross of Christ, through His death, burial, resurrection. Lord, thank you for showing us that we can agree in the Lord, that we can help others, we can rejoice. Lord, we can be reasonable. We can be gracious to those around us through what you provide for us. Lord, thank you for doing those things for us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now. Lord, for those that may need to make decisions, that need to to. to, to acknowledge you for salvation, Father. I pray that you would stir in their heart. Father, for those that already do know you, I pray that you would uh, convict of sin where, where, where we need to be convicted. Lord, help us to repent of those sins where we need to repent, Lord, and help us to live a life that is going to be a gracious, beautiful witness to who you are. Lord, I pray that your glory that we see in the Scriptures would affect every aspect of our lives. And Father, we look for you to speak to us today. And it's in your holy name I pray, Lord. Amen. All right, would you please stand as the praise team leads us.